Bible says in Peter, 1 Peter, I think it is, that we are to grow and mature by the milk of the Word. The Word of God is what causes us to grow. It's not just drinking it and receiving it, but it's then exercising it and obeying it. Lafayette Scales in the second session with the men had this great little teaching about how you grow. He said, you want to, I want to challenge you to be pros. Remember that, men? Yeah. Pros. You weren't there, honey. <laughs> Ch- challenge you to be pros. And a pro is someone who prays, who reads, obeys. Simple formula, but it works. Pastor Sam used to have this very simple expression. Do it, it works. Don't, it won't. The gospel's really simple. Praise God. I better get into this message. We'll wander all over the place tonight. Word, the, the key scripture we're using, you don't need to turn there, is out of 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about the parts of you that make you up. And I've used this little simple pictorial, pictorial, pictorial example that if you've ever uh, bought something that you know, nowadays you buy things, they're not put together. You know, I bought a, 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 a filing cabinet a couple of years ago, and, and it's, it's a package like this. How can you get a filing cabinet in like this? And then you take it out, and it's all the pieces of wood with instructions. <laughs> And, and the good ones will have at the back of the instruction manual a picture of the thing with what they call an exploded picture where the parts are all kind of spread out like you know that when they're numbered. So you can see that stupid little washer you can't find is part 23Z, you know. But it gives you an idea of the thing in the... because it's coming to you in its parts and what they're supposed to look like, how they fit together. Well, we're kind of coming the other way around. We're coming fit together, and we're going to find God's Word kind of take us apart a little bit so you can begin to understand the different parts of you because there are different parts to you. I'm not talking about anatomically. I'm not talking about your, your, your the, you know, the different ligaments and organs and things like that. I'm talking about from God's perspective, and since He's the master designer and He is the architect and He is the, he is the, the, the contractor, it's His plan that counts. And so this gives us a key because we understand that there are three parts to us, spirit, soul, and body. We've talked about the fact that there's some people that will teach there are only two parts to your body and soul. Made a great old spiritual, but it's not biblically accurate. And we talked about the, the, the three parts of you match a part, the, the, the way God is designed. God, is made a, God has three different personalities, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We talked about the fact that there are two parts of you that come from two different realms of existence. We talked about the fact that there's a natural material realm of existence, and that's the realm that we live in all the time. That's the one, you're sitting on a chair, that comes from a material realm. Uh, The material realm is anything that you, you can see, anything that any one of or more of your five senses can detect, and that's real. So uh, if, it's, if your senses can detect it, then we know it's of the material realm. That's the realm that Genesis talks about in chapter 1. It says, in the beginning God created. He didn't create the heavens. said the heavens and the earth. But the heavens there isn't the heaven where God lives. There are several heavens the Bible talks about. One of them is the spiritual atmosphere around this earth, and that's the heavens 
that Genesis 1 is talking about. And so in the beginning, it's the beginning of this realm of existence. That's what Genesis is talking about. And there's one part of you that comes out of that realm of existence, functions in that realm of existence, and then eventually returns to that realm of existence. And that's your body, of course. That's the part of you that comes from the natural realm of existence. God made man out of the dust of the earth. That means he made him out of the substance of this material realm. And when your spirit's finished with your body and your body goes through the process that we call death, your physical body will return back to that substance from which it came because it's still just dirt. It's just moving dirt. Sometimes it's dirtier than others, but it's still made. By dirt, I don't mean that it's filthy. I just mean that it is made of the substance of this earth. And that's an important thing to understand. Then we discovered there's another part of you called your spirit, which comes from another realm of existence, and that's oddly enough called the spirit realm. And that's a realm that also exists. In fact, it's more real than this natural material realm, but it's a realm that by very definition, your five senses cannot detect. And we discussed the fact that according to the Bible, and that's the only means of knowing that we have, that there are angels There are angelic beings. There are also demonic beings. Those are fallen angels. But they're spiritual beings that do not exist in this material realm. In fact, the Bible teaches us, if you understand correctly, that this room right now has angelic beings in it, and it may have some of the other kind in there too. But we know it has angelic beings because the Bible says we all have at least one guardian angel. But you can't see them. I can't see them sitting out there unless something supernatural happens, in which case my natural eyes can somehow see into that realm and discern them or see them. Now, one of the gifts of the Spirit that's listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the discerning of spirits. And that is a those gifts of the spirits are supernatural and they're an ability that God, the Spirit of God gives you to discern either the presence or something about spirits that may or may not be present. Jesus operated in that. Some of the times when he healed people, he didn't always heal people the same way. Sometimes he laid his hands on them. Sometimes he told them to do something like go wash. In the, he, one guy, he spit in his eyes basically. And I mean, he didn't have a manual where he came up to somebody, excuse me a second. Let me say, oh, yeah, this is that one. <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> he was led by the Spirit of God who was in him. But there were some times he spoke to spirits instead of to the disease. Why? Because he operated in that gift called the discerning of spirits, and the Holy Spirit helped him to either see or somehow discern that what was at the root of that affliction was a demonic spirit, not something that was just a breakdown in the body. But the point is, the Bible teaches that those, that realm exists. Now, the part of you that's from that realm, obviously, is your spirit. So you have two parts of you that come from two completely different realms of existence that by very definition cannot contact each other. That's a problem. So God gave you a third part called your soul, which is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that is like a bridge, and its purpose is to, co- is to bring a connection between your spirit, which is from the spirit realm, and your body, which is from this material realm. 
Now what we begin to look, we're going to look at is how those three parts are intended to function together. And we're going to look at, we're going to go to, to Genesis to see this. We've already talked about the fact that there is an order uh, among the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they have different functions. We saw that the Father wills. It is like a king who sits on the throne. It's his will that carries out. That's why when Jesus taught the prayer to his disciples, he said, pray this way. He didn't say you have to pray this prayer. He said, pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come Thy will. So here you've got the Son of God, the second person of the God on the earth, and all of his focus is to see that his Father's will is carried out. We saw that the second part of the Godhead, the Son, is like a prime minister. So the king would sit on his throne. He would have an, either an aide or a, or, or a count chancellor or some title that would stand literally at his right hand. And his responsibility was to carry out the will of the king. The king didn't do anything. He just said what he wanted done. The chancellor's responsibility was to make sure it was done. He didn't actually do it, but he was like the administrator to make sure it was carried out. The king didn't ask other people whether it was done. He turned to the man at his right hand and says, is what I commanded you done? So he was accountable directly to the king. The chancellor had all kinds of armies and servants to physically carry out that king's will that the chancellor issued. And we see that in the Godhead, you see the Father's will is carried out. The Son is the one that's responsible. And the Holy Spirit is the agent that physically accomplishes it. We saw in Genesis chapter 1, I'm not going to go through all that again. We saw in Genesis chapter 1, it says, and when God created it, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. Here's the very power of God hovering over the earth, ready to be released by the command of God to form or reform this earth, depending on which biblical theory you have, and we're not going to get into that tonight either. But basically, he's the power of God that carried it out. You go through the Old Testament, you see different miracles that were accomplished. Sometimes he's called the hand of God. Sometimes he's called the Spirit of God. But, but he's always the Spirit of God physically carrying out God's will. Then we see God now comes in the Gospels and dwells on earth in a man in Jesus Christ. And the Word, the second person of the Godhead, took on flesh, verse 14 says, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, even as of the only begotten of the Son of God. So we could now see God in the flesh. But He didn't perform miracles as the second person of the Godhead because he waited until it was time for his public ministry to begin, and then he went to the Jordan River he submitted to the baptism of, the, of, the, of John. When he came up, the Spirit of God came with the Father. In that scene, you three, all three parts. You see the Father, the Son going down in the water and coming up. It says, the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon him in, in, like in, in a manner of a dove. It doesn't say he was a dove. It's the way he came down. He didn't, you know like that. He didn't drop like a rock. He came down gently like a dove and descended upon him. And from this point on, Jesus performs his miracles under the power of the Holy Spirit for two reasons. First of all, because the Holy Spirit is the agent that carries out God's power on the earth. And secondly, he was living as a prototype so that you and I could discover that that's who you and I are. We are sons and daughters of the living God filled with the same Spirit of God because there's only one Holy Spirit. And Jesus did that so he could turn to his disciples and say, the same things, works that I've done shall you do. 
and greater. If he did them simply because he was the second person of the Godhead that ascended into heaven, what are we left with? We're left with a local power company, aren't we? But he said to them, it's to your advantage that I go because when I go, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send the Holy Spirit who has been with you but now will be in you. And so we see in, starting in Acts chapter 2, the disciples begin to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to do those same works. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the power of God to actually physically carries out the will of God. Well, in the same way, we have three parts to us. And they're designed by God to function in many ways in the same purpose. So we have our spirit being, and that is the part that has come from God. It is the spirit realm. And what we're going to see is God's original design for man was that God would commune with this man spirit to spirit, because the Bible tells us God is spirit. In in John chapter 4, it says if you're going to truly worship him, you must worship him in spirit. Why? Because God is a spirit. You have to worship him in that realm. Well, you have a spirit that enables you to do that. So in that first man that's created in Genesis, when God made him, he has a spirit, he has a soul, and he has a body. And the order that God has designed is, is the spirit of that man was to be in ascendancy. He was to rule just as the Father rules. And He was to rule to carry out the Father's will in this earth. He was given a soul, which was consisted of a mind, a will, and His emotions. And the purpose of that, especially the mind, was to find ways to carry out that will, the instructions that He got in His spirit. Once He got the instruction in His spirit, His mind kicked in to figure out how to accomplish that will. We see it in chapter 2 because God gives him the authority to name everything that's named, all the animals. And the man names the animals. How did he do that? He did it with his mind. He came up with names. We've had four kids. And I know we went through just to figure out what to name four kids, especially when two of them were twins. So you got to have two sets because we didn't know whether they were boys or girls at that time because it was before they did all that stuff. And so we had to figure out if there's two boys, that's what the names, two girls, what's the names? If it's a boy and a girl, what are the names? How do you reverse them? And when they were born, the one, one factor I hadn't figured out was how do you choose who gets which name? <laughs> well, if we went through that for four, so his mind must have been amazing. But the point is, the purpose of his mind and the commitment of his mind was to carry out the will of God communicated to him through his spirit. Well, now he knows the will, he knows how to carry it out, but how's he going to actually get it done? Well, he's got a body to actually physically do it. And that's how God designed us, that's the order in God's intention. Let's go to chapter 3. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it just stayed that way? But we all know it didn't. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning or subtle, some translations say. The word actually means deceptive, deceiver, than all any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now listen, let's go through this, because we've talked about this before in other contexts. He comes with a question. Now, before we get into that, let's just go back a second and look at 
Sounds good. No? Yes, thank you, Joe. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 16. Then the Lord God commanded the man. The Lord God... What's the word? Command. You can say it in church. The Lord God Command. commanded... Notice he didn't suggest something. He didn't state a policy. He didn't encourage him. He commanded. Because God has this thing. He thinks he's God. He thinks that because he's God, he can do what he wants to do. And he expects us to do what he wants to do. So he commanded the man. Notice what he commands him. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. See, not all the commands are bad. Not all the commands are for you to do something you don't want to do. I'm going to say that again. Not all the commands are to do something you don't want to do. He commanded him to eat of every tree of the garden. Enjoy it. Let's put it this way. He commanded him to have fun. Three of you enjoyed that. The rest of you are having trouble with that. Some of you need to be commanded to have fun. God, see, fun and God are not the opposite of each other. My Bible tells me in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Not pickle juice. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. In other words, you eat what you want when you want. Doesn't that sound good? Eat what you want when you want. You're getting with me now. But, oh, there's always a but. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, notice the balance here. When God established something, they could do almost anything they wanted. There's only one thing, only one no. Only one rule that says don't. When religion creates rules... There's about one rule that says you can do this, but it's after you've heard all those things you can't do. Because what happens... Oh, this is good. What happens is when we get out of order so that our spirit is no longer dominating us, what happens is we end up dominated by the flesh. And the only way you can regulate the flesh apart from God's power is with rules that say... Don't do it, because everything your flesh wants to do just about is something you shouldn't do. So the reason we have to have all the rules and say no is because God's not involved. It's man's way of controlling himself. God's way is what we're going to talk about tonight. But I want you to see this picture in the beginning. 
The way God designed this first man and then this first woman is that what dominated them, the part of them that dominated them was the spirit and it was in perfect communion with God because God was a spirit. So God, they would just know. It says God came down in fellowship with them, communed with them in the garden. I don't even know that they were necessarily talking so that you and I could have heard it. But it was a perfect spiritual communion. That's the much more accurate way of communicating than with words and ideas. Ever have a dream? You've all had dreams? Oh, I'm just really sure. Okay, you all had dreams. Ever have one that when you're in the middle, it's just so vivid? You know, you're just into it. I mean, you're into this dream, good, bad, or whatever, you know. And you wake up, and you want to tell somebody this dream. And the moment you go to put a word to it, what happens to it? And yet it was so real that you ate your pillow. <laughs> it's so real that you were sweating. Excuse me, we're in church, perspiring. It's so real that your body was literally physically reacting to it. That's how vivid and real it was. But when you had to reduce it to words and you had to run it through the logical part of your mind, you lost it. Spirit to spirit is like a dream in that sense. It's a perfect communion. It's a perfect transmission. And so God would commune with this man. And this man's mind had nothing interfering so he could discern perfectly what the will of God was from his spirit. And he could plan out how to carry it out. So now in chapter 3 we see the beast comes in. The deceiver comes in. And the very nature of a deceiver is that it, what he's after is not what it looks like. You all know what a pickpocket is. A pickpocket doesn't come up to you and say, Ron, would you stand up, please? Would you turn around? I'd like your wallet. <laughs> no, a pickpocket's not going to tell you, hey, I'm after your wallet, I've got to talk you out of it. What a pickpocket does is distract you or a con artist distracts you by getting your attention on one thing when what he's really after is something else. So one thing you know for sure is if you know you're dealing with a devil, then you know what he's dealing with you about is not what he's after. Because he's never after what he's talking to you about. He's always after something else because he's a deceiver. So we're going to see his technique here. He's going to use a technique called questioning. And because he's a deceiver, he's not after what it looks like. So he comes and he, start, he approaches her with a question. Has indeed God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, go back. We just looked at chapter 2, verse 17, 16, and God says, you may eat of every tree except one. So right away he's lying. Because he said, has God said you may not eat of every tree in the garden? What's he after here? He's trying to engage, first of all, he has no authority to speak here. God didn't give him authority. The authority in this garden was given to the man. 
the only way somebody, somebody else is going to have a right to speak is if the one with the authority grants him permission. So the first thing this serpent is looking for is a platform from which to speak. And I've got news for you. We're still looking for it today. If she ignored him, he could not have gone any further. But the moment she answers him, she is acknowledging that he has a right to address her. In a courtroom, even though I was one of the attorneys of the case, I could not approach, right Richard, could not approach the judge's bench even to hand him something without permission. And I'm over 18. <laughs> because he's the authority in that courtroom, I have to have permission to approach the bench and say something to him. Once he grants it, I can speak. You can't just stand up in a courtroom and say, I, you know, I got an opinion on that. They'll give you one shot at that. The second shot, the judge expresses his opinion. You only can speak if it's your, what's called standing to speak. So the first thing he's looking for is standing to speak in a place that God hasn't given it. And when she answers him, she is giving to him the right to speak further. Now, he's going to engage in this questioning with her. He's not trying to teach her something. He's not trying to help her improve her position, although that's what it sounds like. He's after something that's not apparent. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of every tree of the garden freely, but of the tree of the garden which is in the, in the middle of the garden, you shall not, God said, You shall not eat of it or touch it, lest you shall die. Now let's go back again to chapter 2 and look at what this tree is. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally in the Hebrew it says, in dying you shall die. So the tree that God sectioned off and said, you can enjoy everything else. In fact, I command you to enjoy it. But this tree, you cannot touch. And it's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What God was saying to them is, I did not design you to handle the knowledge of good and evil. Well, don't we need to know good and evil? If we're obeying God every time, He knows the difference between good and evil. But see, when I start exercising my own independent understanding of good and evil, I put myself in my life in a position which God had ordained for Himself. All God expected of them to do was what He said. And the plan was, if you do what I said... I'm responsible for discerning good and evil. 
I'm responsible for protecting you from the good, from the evil, and bringing the good into your. But if you take on your own knowledge of good and evil, you've assumed that responsibility for yourself, and I did not design you to be able to handle it. And the greatest evidence of that is to look at the news today and see what a wonderful job we're doing with our own knowledge of good and evil. We live in a day and age when knowledge, technical knowledge, is infinitely beyond anything man ever before imagined to do. I remember my grandfather, before he died, when I was a little boy actually, would sit me on his knee and tell me stories of when he was a young little boy. When he was a little boy, he remembered when the electric light bulb was discovered. And he died, I think, the year before a man walked on the moon and we saw him. What an incredible increase of knowledge in the space of one man's life. But look at how we've come since then. I mentioned this two weeks ago. I got a phone that I can push a couple buttons and I can talk face-to-face with our grandchild grandchildren in Austin, Texas. Real time. That's like Dick Tracy stuff. That dates me, doesn't it? For those of you of younger generations, the comics, Dick Tracy had a two-way wristwatch. Wow, a wristwatch that you could literally talk live two ways on it. And the amazing thing is my grandkids are better at working this thing than I am. So their mind is already tuned into this. With all this knowledge, all this genetic understanding that we have, all this, how is our life better? Is it safer? Is there more peace? It's just the opposite. We're going to see why. Because the enemy was tempting her to take something God hadn't given them to have. So why would he put it there? I don't know. One possible reason is because although man was in charge, he needed to know he didn't own it all. And having something in the garden he couldn't touch was a constant reminder, you're the steward, I'm the owner. By the way, that's one of the purposes of the tithe, but we won't go there tonight. Okay, let's go on. And then verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he's telling her, God's trying to keep something good from you, because he knows if you eat of this, you're going to be like him. Well, don't turn back now, but it says in chapter 1, He made them in His image. So they're already like Him. What's going on here? What he is very subtly after, he is trying to get her to elevate her mind over her spirit. Remember the order. God designed us originally so that we were ruled by our spirit. Spirit got wisdom, directions, instructions from God, commune with God. The role of our mind was to carry out that will 
and our body's purpose was to physically accomplish it. What the serpent is trying to do is just get it out of order. You don't have to destroy something good. All you got to do is get it out of order. If you get it out of order, it'll begin to destroy itself. And that's what was so subtle about it. He doesn't come in with lightning bolts to destroy them as an obvious enemy. He just engages in this casual conversation, which appears to be for their benefit. But what his technique is, is by questioning to get her to move into her mind to make decisions instead of obeying out of her spirit. I go back into the, you know, an analogy of, of a courtroom. It's because what I'm familiar with is in the courtroom... Of course, trials are conducted primarily by questioning witnesses and the rules for how you can ask questions. And the reason that there are rules for how you can ask questions is the guy that gets to ask the question has a tremendous advantage on the person that has to answer the question. Let me give you an example. It's an old story, but you'll get it. Brendan, have you stopped beating your wife? No, you haven't stopped? <laughs> There's no way to answer that question without getting yourself in really serious trouble. <laughs> and why? Because I formed the question in such a way that there's no way he can answer it. So be very careful when you answer someone's question that you understand the question, and you understand what can be done with your answer. <laughs> I don't want to go there. I was a witness in a case once. <laughs> Lawyers make terrible witnesses. <laughs> anyway, where was I before I interrupted myself? Oh, yeah, okay. So I want you to see this. So once, once she entered into the realm of of using her mind to decide what she was going to do with regard to what God had commanded, the three parts of her got out of order. And her mind tried to take ascendancy. Now, let me let you in a secret. This is very important to understand. Because the illusion out there among people is that, you know, that, that, that we're controlled by our mind. You're not. I'm going to show you some scriptures later on. You're either controlled by your spirit or you're controlled by your flesh. Your mind was not made to control. All your mind does is serve one or the other. So people that say, you know, I don't need that spirit stuff. I, you know, I'm a scientist. I put all this stuff together. My mind, I'm controlled by my mind. No, I'll show you the proof that they're controlled by their flesh. Because your mind will side. Your mind will figure out how to carry out whichever part of you is in ascendancy. Because that's what God, the way God made it. Your mind, your mind will figure out, and, and you all know what I'm talking about if you've ever gone on a diet. Because your mind will figure out how to get around it. Your mind will figure out how to get what your flesh wants. And it can come up with good spiritual ways of doing it. It's not your mind's will that's being carried out. It's your flesh that your mind is helping to carry out. 
And the moment she answers his questions, the, the, the order of authority within her switched around and now she is no longer dominated by her spirit. She's now dominated by her flesh. And she's easy prey. Now she was deceived. Paul, in, I think it's 1 Timothy, says, Adam, the man, was not deceived. He just outright obeyed. He basically chose his wife over God's will. And when he chose his wife over God's will, it didn't benefit his wife. She lost her protection. Because I'm convinced, now I can't tell you in the Bible, but I'm convinced that if he had said no and resisted, that she could have been brought back. But he, because he was the one given responsibility. And when he chose, as an act of his will, to disobey God's commandment, he chose to put his flesh, literally his flesh, because she was his flesh, chose to put his flesh as a higher authority in his life than God working through his spirit. When you and I were born, not born again, when we were born, that's the condition we were born into. That's what original sin really is. We were born into a condition where our natural tendency of our flesh was to be an ascendancy. And we, because we no longer had a man, once he sinned, his spirit was now disconnected from God. It's like unplugging your toaster from the life of God. It was still alive. He was still alive. That's why it said, he said, in dying you will die. It took him another 900 and some years for his body to catch up. Because there's two types of death. Just as there's two realms of existence, there's two types of death. There's physical death, which is when this thing quits. But there's spiritual death. Spiritual death is to be disconnected from the source of spiritual life. And source of spiritual life is God Himself. So when this first man was created and this first woman was brought out of him, they were spiritually alive because they were spiritually connected to the source of life, God himself. But when they disobeyed him, got out of order, that vital connection was broken. And that's why they became afraid and hid. Now that they're disconnected from him, what happens is, they're no longer receiving instructions. They're no longer receiving strength. They're no longer... Now, they had a residue, a reservoir to draw on for a while. And this is the condition we were born in. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. You're going to begin to understand why you do some things you do and what the way out is. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. Now, the New King James says, as the rest of the Gentiles walk. But the better translations say that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Look at this. In the futility of their mind. A mind apart from God, in God's perspective, is futile. Futile means it produces nothing. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated, that means separated from the life of God. 
That's what we're talking about. There is no connection with God. And God is a source of life. God is a source of truth. God is a source of wisdom. And when you're unplugged from that sources, you're left to your own resources. And man's resources apart from God are futile. But worse than that, being alienated or separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being, see if this doesn't describe where we live now, who being past feeling have given themselves over to King James says lasciviousness, the new King James says lewdness, the word in Greek means to a place where you have no restraint. It means to be morally without any restraint at all. Nothing's holding you back. I do it feels good. If it feels good to you, do it, brother. As long as it doesn't hurt me, you do what you want to do. To work all on cleanliness and greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if you indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ Jesus. Now go to Ephesians 2. Verse chapter 1 talks about the wonderful things God has done for us. Chapter 2, And you he made alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead because we were separated from God. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. But this is the place you were. You were born into when you came out of your mother's womb. You were born into a condition because your spirit was not alive unto God. You were born into a condition, I'm not talking about babies going to heaven or not, that's a different issue. But when you grew up the way you were, your spirit was not connected to God. You had no vital connection to Him, so you had no vital connection to the, the, God's perspective, God's strength, God's tr- control, God's power, God's life. You were, and, but, but, so what you operated in is your flesh controlled by your mind. And that's what we read in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about this because Paul talks about he said, I did not come to you with the wisdom of the world. He says, because the best wisdom man has is foolishness to God in God's perspective. But when you were born again, when you came to Christ, what happened is you came to Christ and the Bible says in several places in Ezekiel, it says that God came, it says, it says in, in, in the New Testament, that God came and took out of you that heart of stone and he put into you a heart of flesh and he put his own life in you 
Jesus said in John chapter 3, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That word also means from above. So when you came to Christ, literally what happened is God by his spirit birthed his own life in you just as he did in that first man before the garden scene that we read tonight. And the moment he did that, now you're alive unto God. He made you alive unto God. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, when you were dead in your sins and transgressions, made you alive unto God. So what happened when you were born again is you were put in the same place that that first man was in the garden with a spirit being that now has the potential to be in rulership. But here's the problem. Well, we'll talk about that next week. Oh, you want to know it? Here's the problem. When God created the first man, he started from scratch. New body, new mind, new spirit. When God recreated you, the only part he recreated was your spirit, your nature. So now you've got, when you're born again, you've got a brand new spirit and God's spirit living on the inside of you, now trying to communicate the will of God, the direction of God. But they're dwelling in, a, in an old body with an old mind that for 20 years, 30 years, in my case 35 years, was used to living and walking according to the course of this world. That's why you struggle with what you struggle with. Now, remember what we saw with the chart we had up, don't have to put it up now, is we saw that the soul is the bridge between your spirit and your body. Now you've got a new spirit that's alive unto God. Not only is it alive unto God and can get directions and wisdom and life from God, but it has this Holy Spirit in there who is the power of God. In you right now, from the moment you made Christ your Lord and Savior. But they're living in this body that's used to doing what it wants to do. And a mind who figures out ways to do it and not get caught. And they haven't changed miraculously. They're still thinking the way they used to think and wanting to do what they wanted to do. So now begins the process of that salvation on the inside being worked to the outside. And that's what Romans 12, 2 means when it says we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing process is taking your mind that's used to thinking the way of the world and taking this book and getting your mind in this book and saturating your mind with this book so that your mind begins to think according to God's way and not according to the old way. And the more your mind starts to think in line with God, the more your spirit is able to communicate through your mind and get this old body to do because it'll do, eventually, what you tell it to do. There's a verse that we like to quote for other purposes where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane 
told his disciples, would you please pray with me? And he went off and went through his agony of his prayer. And in Matthew's account, three times he comes back and finds them sleeping. And at one point he says, can't you just watch with me one hour? And he says, I understand the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we think that as some big problem. But that's actually an advantage. Because if your spirit's weak, and your flesh is will if your if your spirit is if your flesh is weak then it ought to be easy to overcome it isn't that true especially now that you have the life of god and the nature of god inside of you we don't have the time tonight but read romans 6 we may start there next time because Romans 6 talks about this, that you're dead in your, that sin, you're dead unto sin. And you're alive unto righteousness. Therefore, reckon your body, that means you consider it, in your will, in your mind, as dead to sin. This is the condition that you were when you were, before you were born again, and this is what happened to you when you're born again, and now the rest of your walk with God is learning to develop your mind to think along with God's Word and bring your will in line with the Spirit of God inside of you so that God can begin to express Himself through you the way He originally intended to express Himself through that first man and that first woman. And then all those things that are listed in Ephesians chapter 1 that are on the left side of that chart will begin to manifest themselves in your life. They're in you now but they're not coming out because your mind doesn't think in those terms. Your mind still thinks the way the world thinks. And so when those things come up in your spirit, you know, we ought to really do that, or you really shouldn't be doing that, your mind, unless it agrees with that, will shut it right back down again. Because you've all had the experience, I'm sure, of having a prompt. You know, I ought to go do, I ought to, I ought to call somebody. Well, I'll do it later after all. You know, they may be busy right now. That's your, you got the prompting in here, all you got to do is obey it. The mind's supposed to kick into how do I call them. Instead, the mind starts deciding whether or when. And when is just like weather. Because every time I've ever done that, I never got around to doing it. Because the moment was lost. And what that is, is the Spirit of God now is in me, directing me, just like that first man. But my mind's trying to do what Eve's mind did figure out, is this to my advantage or not? What the consequences of this? That's my mind dominating my spirit instead of my mind saying, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. Now, how do we go about doing this? What's the best way to do this? What's the phone number? Instead of my mind cooperating with my spirit, my mind's trying to rule along with my spirit, and that doesn't work.